0: Welcome parents. Is your teen's self-esteem in the dumps? Do your attempts to build up their confidence often land flat? If so, this episode is for you. I'm jo- joined by Dr. Shayna, a mental health counselor and the author of the Self-Love Workbook for Teens. Dr. Shayna is passionate about destigmatizing mental health counseling and helping individuals worldwide recognize the importance of fostering mental wellness. She's been featured on ABC, CBS, NPR, The Washington Post, just to name a few. Today, Dr. Shayna is going to teach us some strategies for cultivating our children's self-worth. Welcome, Dr. Shayna. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you.
0: Absolutely. So let's just start with your backstory. How did you become an advocate specifically for teen mental health and self-esteem?
1: So, I you know, and as where I sit right now looking back, I think I ended up becoming an advocate because it was what I needed to hear as a teen with my own self-esteem. But looking back to my teen years, let's just start from there. I didn't know I would have needed that at the time, right? I certainly was one who struggled with self-esteem and that's why I feel like I ended up writing the self-love workbook for teens, but I didn't really realize how important mental health was until my college years. and That was pretty much when all of my mental health concerns were kind of coming to the surface, glaring at me at this really important time of transition. And I realized, well, throughout my teen years and probably before that as well, I was living with anxiety. And that really shook me up at the time to realize that and realize how I didn't notice that before and how I wasn't handling it all of my life. And I wanted to make a difference. I think I was lucky to have resources at that time to learn about psychology at large, mental health, have access to a counselor. So I was able to kind of get in the right path and start healing through my mental health. But then I couldn't just leave it there. It's like, okay, well, I'm glad that I was able to do that. But I realized there's a lot of people, lots of adults, lots of teens, lots of yeah. children who are dealing with these concerns and not enough resources. So I guess you could say the rest is history. That's pretty much what ignited my career and wanting to become a mental health counselor first, then a counselor educator. And now I, where I sit in the role of being an author and advocate as well.
0: I love that. And I, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of us in this field kind of start that way where we're going, okay, I need to figure this out. Now, how do I help other people figure this out? Because it is, it's just, I think so many, so t- so often, especially when we're struggling with self-esteem, we think it's us and mm-hmm. only us, and you feel very lonely. And, you know, when we start working with teenagers, you realize it's pretty universal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It really is. Absolutely. And that can be a really empowering thing to recognize. Teens often are trying to focus on the groups that they fit into and they belong to but they're also, their brain is starting to develop to that phase that they can see things on a wider scale too. And sometimes if that's just prompted a little bit to see that universality, we all have mental health. We all have the importance of cultivating our own version of mental wellness. I think that can be really empowering for any age, but especially for teens.
0: Yeah. So Dr. Shady, you just talked about the brain development. Can you explain a little bit of why self-esteem becomes such a growing issue during the teen years? Sure.
1: So if you think about before the teen years, right? So first of all, brain development just gets more complex. Let's make it as simple as that. It makes more complex so you can see multiple layers. The way someone else sees you does not have to be the same way you see yourself. That can be a really beautiful and empowering thing, but making that distinction for potentially the first time ever can be really challenging, yeah. right? So my parent thinks this of me, my teacher thinks this of me, my coach thinks this of me, but the for, for the first time really starting to solidify What do I believe about me too? So it's kind of like a whole new open realm kind of shifts in that zone. And that is really, really important for identity that it gets established around that time. It is influenced from the years before, but it's so core in this time that really sets us up for young adulthood and then years beyond. I can't tell you the amount of times that I'm working with adults in their twenties, thirties, forties, throughout the lifespan that we can really trace some of these identity concerns all the way back to teenage years. Yes, it really is that balance, you know, of there are things that get open. So it's like, okay, now that your brain can do this now, now that you can think critically, now that you can see beyond you, now that you can see your views and others all at the same time, let's have those healthy conversations to help you explore and navigate these new realms of thought.
0: Yeah, I kind of, I'll explain it to parents and even teens as this is a new superpower and you don't know how to use it yet. (laughs) And when you don't, it can can backfire on you because we tend to go negative. So we are always comparing and that's why the self-esteem is so hard because now we're comparing ourselves and we always fall short. Yeah.
1: Two things that come up right on the top of my mind. I love that you call it a superpower. I think that I really hope that the parents absorb that because I think a lot of times when it has that like emotional or mental repercussion, some social too, there's this, oh gosh, here's this thing that we, here's this phase that we have to go through and Mm -hmm. exhausting and daunting. It's like emotional intelligence is Key for the rest of your life. So, being able to lean into that, it really is a superpower. So, I'm so glad that you mentioned that
0: in that. Yeah. Way. No? So, parents are struggling though because they're trying right now, they see this insecurity creeping in on their kids, right? And it, it worries us because we don't want to have kids who are low in self esteem. They start withdrawing, right? And we just have so much fear of where this is going to lead them. But our attempts to help them often backfire because even when we try to like build them up, it often gets met with eye rolls or you have to say that because you're my parent and it like has very little weight. (laughs) So how do parents help building up their teens self-esteem when they see it start to falter?
1: So something to consider about the model of self-love that I work from is that self-esteem is only one of seven different segments of self-love. So many times when parents are trying to go right in for no, that, don't believe that, honey, that's silly, you're wonderful. These really helpful thoughts, it falls flat because the rest of that model is missing. Yeah. So that's one thing to think of. So in the self-love workbook, I go into the other chapters, self-esteem is very important, but also if you're not improving self-kindness, that inner dialogue, if you're not letting your teen share what their inner dialogue sounds like without judgment and without criticism and like hearing them and sitting with that, or if it's not something that you believe you're capable of getting them the professional who can do that with them or self respect right okay mm-hmm. you you have these views about yourself but you're not allowed to set boundaries of your own right there's there's these other aspects that are important too so yeah. the other six in addition to self esteem that i find help to scaffold self esteem are self awareness self exploration self care self kindness self growth and self respect so those are all like, you need all of them together. So that's one thing to think about. The other thing I would point out is that we need to talk more. So you mentioned like, okay, there's, here's the situation that a parent realizes that they need to have this conversation. And that's where the dialogue starts. And that's a big part of the problem. We're only having these discussions about self-esteem, self-worth, mental health, when there's a problem, and if we can invest proactively, having these conversations way back, toddlerhood, right? Having conversations about feelings and, you know, good things we believe about ourselves and affirmations and mantras way back when it becomes easier to have these more intervention like conversations, you know, you get less of those eye rolls. When I hear talk, I think, yes, there's this dialogue that I want parents to have with their teens, of course. But there's also these two other forms of talk that I think we overlook, and that's our self-talk and our indirect talk. So
0: let's dig into
1: those. (laughs) So self-talk, and I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with that phrasing, inner dialogue, inner monologue, whatever you want to call it, is that chatter that runs in all of our heads, Apparently not everyone has that but for the most part we all have
0: that inner dialogue. You Who know are them. those lucky few that do not have that? What? <laughs> I've got a lot of it. Oh, I have a lot. I'll, it, right? I'll share some of mine with people that don't have it if they'd like. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs>
1: That's one way. Yeah, and it's a really helpful thing to actually let that out of our mind. When it's our when it's only in our mind, whether it's in our teen's mind or our mind, it seems like it makes a lot of sense and then when you start to let it out whether it's writing it out, saying it out loud, or having it in conversation with someone else, or even in forms of art. When you let it out, you realize what doesn't align, what isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. You're able to make a little bit more of healthy discrimination and assessment, but in your head, it's just all truth. It's just like all of these thoughts, whether they're healthy or unhealthy are kind of swirling. What I really want for parents to know is many times there is this, Mm, this word is heavy, but I'm going to use it. Hypocrisy in which we want to improve our children's self-talk. But meanwhile, there's this like inner bully in our own mind that mm-hmm. like, runs rampant yeah. and we have to walk the walk if we want children and the next generation to be able to do that too. So when I'm talking about self-talk, yeah, we want to have the conversations with teens about their self-talk, but it's your self-talk too. That's a really important part.
0: That is very important. So how do we go about modeling, having a positive self-talk with our teens when we're struggling with that too?
1: Yeah, I think the beauty of it is not knowing, you know, so coming back to self-esteem and how that relates to self-talk is many times we think we want High self-esteem, right? So it's like, I use wake up. I am wonderful, right? That's lovely if you woke up that way. Good for you. But realistically, self-esteem doesn't mean that you believe you are wonderful every second of the day, every day, for every year, for the rest of time. It's actually not accurate. And there's actually issues with when we get too high in self-esteem realm of narcissism and personality disorders, because then we're solely thinking about ourselves and not the rest of the world too. So we want a healthy balance, right? Because that allows us to have feedback from the world to make, to trust our own discrimination at the end of the day of who we are, what we believe, what we choose to do. So thinking about that, first of all, we want that moderate self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So in self-talk, it's helpful for parents to model. Like I have self-talk too. And sometimes I'm not thinking the best things about myself. Some days I think really lovely things about myself. And sometimes I have self-doubt, right? Sometimes I'm not sure if I can do this. Normalizing that goes ahead. And while we don't need a totally equal playing field in parenthood, it brings you down to like, oh, you're human too, mom. Whatever the name is we're using, right? Yeah human too. Oh, so you're not just telling me to believe in myself because you believe in yourself every day. Oh, you struggle with this too. So then I'm not odd in struggling with this. I'm not the only one. Other people experience this and wow, you experience this and you're working through this. There's a different level of inspiration there than trying to like fake it till we make it and pretend like we only think positive things about ourselves.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's so important to to comment upon because when we try to portray this like perfect image and we've got it all together and some, I mean, we do it as parents sometimes because we want our kids to feel safe. Mm-hmm. So we want them to think we're competent, Yeah. <laughs> but I think what happens is they get a false representation of what it looks to be healthy. And I'm putting in air quotes, normal, wow. because they're only seeing this like smoothed out surface of us and they're not seeing the fact that we're human and struggling just like you said and that's what they need to see they need to know that they're okay not being okay all the time because we're not okay all the time
1: absolutely and then that opens a dialogue especially in teen years what a beautiful thing to be able to normalize I went to a therapist too I went to group therapy too. I went to couples counseling, whatever the thing is, yeah. to also normalize that. I think all too often, well-intended parents say, okay, I realized that this is not my area. My child is struggling with something around self-esteem and mental health, and I know I want them to get help. So this is not my area. I'm going to ship it off to someone else. And that's the first time they ever hear about counseling or therapy. And the first time that they know of, they're the first person in their family history or in their entire community going to therapy. We have such an important role in just normalizing humanity. Mental health is fluid, right? So we can have good days and we can have bad days. There are some really challenging days that we need to seek help. If we're normalizing that, it makes it more acceptable for a teen to realize, oh yeah, just like how you went to the doctor when you were sick for antibiotics, you also went to the therapist when you were really struggling for self-esteem.
0: Yeah. I I think normalizing, getting mental health support is really important. And I think we're getting there, but there's still a stigma of, and I see this with kids a lot where they're like, I'm broken. So I've got to go get help because I'm broken. And then they get frustrated because they feel like everything that's not working in the household, they feel like they burden the, the problem and that they're the problem and they need to get the help. And they get frustrated because they're like, I, it's not, I can't do all of this. I can't fix everything in the house.
1: I'm so glad you brought up that reality, that common reality, because that brings me back to that second talk point that I mentioned. So yes. You want to have check your self-talk, but the second talk is your indirect talk, right? Mm -hmm. So if in this dire specific moment, we're trying to convince our team to speak to us about self-esteem or whether they wanna seek a therapist, yet in other sporadic moments, there's been commentary about like, oh, that person's crazy. They haven't been going to therapy their whole life. Or you're making some other, what you might think is like a flippant statement. You're not thinking much of it, but your bias is leaking, right? Or like, yes. gosh, I'm crazy today. I'm, I, you know, I'm so erratic. Like making these statements, words have power. And the thing, it's another thing, I guess, about children at large, but teens, it's sure the things you're directly saying to them, but it's also the things you're indirectly saying because they're listening and they're- They have
0: powerful. more power in, during adolescence, I will say. They have yeah. way more power.
1: To be able to put that together too is the power, right? Yeah. To be able to say, hmm, and they may not even know that, right? So that, I don't expect that yet with the whole prefrontal cortex not being fully developed. I don't expect that they'll say, hmm, mother, you are requiring me to go to therapy yet also on days, this, this, and this, you have, <laughs> right, exactly. System. you know, I'm not expecting that, but I am expecting it to sit in their mind somewhere. And to cause some friction, right? Like you're telling me this is okay, but all the other actions you ever held about mental health or ever statements you've ever shared about mental health show that this is not okay. And it does insinuate I'm broken. So that inauthenticity adds up, especially for teens, because they're keen to that. They can pick up on those mixed messages now than ever before. So it's the self-talk. The indirect talk, and yes, of course, the conversation. And I hope that that conversation doesn't only happen when we see a problem. That these conversations are happening actively in our households about mental wellness, not only about mental illness.
0: So there's there's two things I want to point, kind of bring to light, to or point out. So when you said the indirect talk, I, I love the way that that's referenced. I haven't heard it exactly said that way, and I love that. I'm going to take it from you now, um, because. So much of our messages just that are impacting their self-esteem is from our indirect talk too. And which is why a lot of times our direct, oh, honey, you're great. You're, you did so well. Don't resonate with them because the indirect talk and messages that they're at least receiving is counter to that often, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they're hearing that. So this don't, so the direct no longer feels authentic because it's not, related to anything else that's being said so I think being aware of that Mm -hmm. but what I want to dig into and need your help because this I know I'm hearing parents already I can tell going Uh you're talking telling me to talk to my child my child will not talk to me Mm -hmm. so you're saying have these great conversations how do I do that when my teen doesn't want anything to do with me Sure. And I
1: have a lot of respect for that. And I understand that's the juncture, right? That these other things have already happened. And now we're at a complicated juncture. So, those other two levels of talk, ideally, we are checking our self talk before we want to even get into our teens' minds, right? That accountability comes first. Checking our indirect talk, that comes first. What we're talking about right now is the juncture in which, like, whoops, was not paying attention to that. But now I'm here. What do I do? There is always a moment for you to shift things around and say, you know, I realize I've been making it seem like mental health is easy for me too. I realize mm-hmm. that that's what it seems like. And f- taking the heat off of them and sharing about yourself is like, this is hard for me too. I get it. Right. Yeah. So I may not get exactly what you're experiencing, but I've had struggles too. So even if you are projecting this inauthentic, perfectionistic image, it's never too late to start to bring that down. So I know that might be counterintuitive to parents. It's like, but the problem is my child. Let me talk to my child about my child. They're feeling that heat. And that means defenses Mm -hmm. are going to go up. So we need to shift that in some other way. Also experiences, you know, like, can you watch a show that has a mental health topic and you can talk about that? Can you watch a movie that has a mental health topic? Can you read books together that have mental health topics? So other ways of coming around to that conversation. Because yes, if you get to that juncture and it's already a little bit too, a little too late, you have to use these other skills of like then leaning in on yourself, being accountable, being authentic. It's never too late to be authentic. And it's also important for us to know our limits, right? So I want parents
0: to have these healthy conversations,
1: pardon me, but also it's okay to reach out to a therapist when that's too much too.
0: Yeah. And to get it started, I think diving right into one of these deep conversations when you're not having regular conversations already is a very large leap. So I think part of it too is we got to start with casual yeah. conversations first before we dig into something as deep as mental health.
1: And we need to be able to walk the walk, right? So yeah. Again, if you're in this juncture that you're feeling all this friction, you know, mental health's important. You want your teen to believe it all their stuff. And they're ignoring you and they're stonewalling you. That's actually probably triggering stuff in you too. Oh yeah. You go to therapy for that.
0: Right? Yes. So
1: we don't want that to become the power play that's I'm the parent, you're the child, you sit here and you listen to me while I'm telling you all these things in that juncture, especially in rebellious teen years. That means even if they want to in their heart of hearts want to listen to you, hmm, ears have just closed tight, right? Yeah, you're just gonna get all of this, right? They'll say, yeah. but it's not and going to work.
0: It, no, and I, I think a lot of that too, like even just saying like the rebellious teen years, I think there's like this perception that they're being rebellious when actually they're being really self-protective, right? And so we, we see it as rebellion and we respond in a way that's rebellion, but really they're just trying to say, "I I need a voice. I am an individual. I've got my own thoughts. And so when you're just trying to bombard it and water hose it on me, I'm shutting you down right? Because it's going one way and it doesn't feel okay anymore to do it. I'm so
1: glad you brought that up because it's a compassionate angle to be able to see what feels like friction and aggression and seeing what's underneath that. Yes. And I want to normalize that. Like, that's a really fair point for a parent to seek their own therapy because it that there's some emotional dysregulation of their own, maybe even some identity things of like, what does it mean to be a parent, right? Shouldn't my child listen to me always, no matter what? And
0: yeah,
1: there's I, you're yeah. right.
0: We put so much weight on our own self-esteem yeah, based on our relationships and what our kids are doing. Mm-hmm. And so our kids are now like this extension of our own self-esteem and we got to shut that down because right. that's unfair to our kids.
1: Exactly. And it's inauthentic again,
0: right? It so is. we want
1: you to believe, well, you know, forget what your friends are saying, forget what you see on social media, forget what's happening at school, believe in yourself. And then you're not doing this. I know. You know I, I only, I laugh. It's, it's a, it becomes a very serious, but I laugh because, like, when we point it out that way, it really seems silly, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. why are we asking this when we're not going to do it too? So, any of those segments, right? Whether it's self-esteem, self-kindness, self-respect, many times it's triggered for us when we see it in someone we love, especially if it's our own child. Yet I always want it to kind of buoy back, ricochet, and okay, this is really triggering for me to hear you self speak about yourself with such lack of kindness. What does that mean about my self-kindness? So yeah. always come back and do that self-check first to make sure it's regulated. Otherwise, you're dysregulated, trying
0: to regulate a dysregulated. (laughs) It's not going to go well. No, no, it really will not go well. Hmm. So this is we could go on forever about this. This is a great topic. So I want to make sure people know where to find you or how to find you. So, Dr. Shana, how can people find you?
1: So in general, you could reach out to me on my website at drshayna.com, but on Facebook, Instagram, or on LinkedIn
0: at Dr. All right. And I will put links to your books. Excuse me. I just got that too. I will put links in the books in the show notes so people can find you. Um, But I am so grateful you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really important conversation. So I appreciate you shedding some light on it. Absolutely. And thank you parents for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I really appreciate you too. If you want to learn more about how to help your teens thrive, you can grab my, grab my top 10 secrets for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember there's always more to the story than what you see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam Parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.